Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is an apostrophe podcast production. Here's one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Fong. I'm a journalist and an educator. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. Once upon a time, there lived a dictator in a country behind the Iron Curtain. One of the many ways he controlled his people was by mandating that more babies should be born. Lots of babies. Abortion was banned, as was birth control for any women under the age of 40. The age of marriage was lowered from 18 to 15. If you chose not to meet the birth quota, you paid a special tax. If you were a doctor and a baby in your care died, you were fined. If you had a miscarriage, you were interrogated. If you weren't pregnant, government agents, state gynecologists known as the menstrual police, would check up on you at workplaces and in schools. Women were ordered to have at least five children, and some ended up giving birth to more than a dozen. The dictator's quest was to grow a nation and a potential army a generation later. He announced, The fetus is the property of the entire society. Anyone who avoids having children is a deserter who abandons the law of national continuity. One year after Decree Number 7700 was issued in 1966, the birth rate doubled. The dictator was succeeding. And then the whole system began failing. 
My name is Isidore Rocco. I grew up in a Romanian institution in the early 1980s. 1991, I was adopted into an American family. Isidore was one of those children, a predetermined supporter, a future soldier. His job one day was to have been to protect his country from outside invaders, capitalists, and to follow the dictates of the dictator. Like hundreds of thousands of babies during that time, Isidore was born to parents overwhelmed with too many other children. Like thousands of them, they were born with diseases or disabilities. When he was six months old, Isidore became sick. His parents took him to the hospital, hoping he would get better. He got worse. At the hospital, he became infected with polio. His parents dropped him off at another hospital, one that existed for irrecoverable children. They never returned for him. He was then taken to an orphanage where he spent the next 11 years. There were six floors in the orphanage he grew up in. Outside the confines of those walls, Isidore didn't know there were others. He only knew that he was on his own. An estimated 170,000 children were abandoned and left to be cared for by the state in 700 orphanages in those years. There was a nickname for them, these orphans. They were forced to be born by a dictator who had a plan to make use of them for his own gain. They were called Children of the Decree. The horrified world would know them after the downfall of that dictator under another term, Romanian orphans. The absence of connections affects us deeply. What we're going through because of the pandemic have damaged us emotionally and physically. But maybe there are lessons we can learn from what orphans went through when they were abandoned and isolated. Tonight, 2020 begins with a dilemma. A story that's so shocking that we know those of you at home are going to be disturbed by what you see. But a story that's so important before the journalists showed up to do their reporting of what was happening, before the flood of well-meaning outside agencies wanting to help, and before the arrival of people hoping to adopt, Isidore and the other orphans were hidden away and on their own. Honestly, it's all I ever knew. From the time I could remember, I was surrounded by all the kids, all the staffs. So to me, that was normal. And I never felt like I'm isolated. I've never felt alone. I didn't know what alone was, what isolated was. I just existed. Being surrounded by hundreds of other orphans just like him was the norm for Isidore. He didn't feel like he was part of a group, that they were a tribe together. There was no feeling of belonging, but an absence of feeling. He didn't feel alone, but he didn't feel he belonged either. He just didn't feel either of those things. He only became aware that he was alone after realizing that there was something the opposite of that. When he saw glimpses of life in a family, or understood that he, even for a short period of time, was part of something. He had that exposure once, but it didn't last. 
One time, when he was receiving a beating, another worker walked in and promised Isidore that if he stopped crying, she would take him to her home for one night. She kept her promise. And a couple of weeks later, in a winter, snowy, cold day, it seemed like we took hours to walk home. The first time I entered her home, it was built into cultural, folklore, traditional folk music style. And I love the place. And I had so much fun. I mean, she made homemade food, cake, juice, and gave me whatever I wanted, really. It was like a spoilism of never being spoiled. And she wanted to make sure that I was fed and that I was full. If I wanted more, she just kept, was going to give it to me. But I had forgotten. My mind was so overwhelmed of joy and intrigued with all the visionary of what I had just seen from the streets of apartments, stores, people, uh, horses, cars, all those things were so intriguing that by that evening, I had forgotten I come from an orphanage. The next day, when he returned to the institution, he realized that what he experienced in the outside world was only a sliver, given and then taken away again. Those moments made life even worse when he was back in the orphanage. He had seen what it was like not being there, and it made him feel more alone than ever when he was back among the other orphans. The year after the dictator died, a few orphans were adopted out. They simply were taken away, while many others remained behind. The first adoptee in Isidore's orphanage was a girl named Anna. In 1991, she got into a car, and the car drove off, carrying her to a new life. Every window in the facility was crowded with the other children watching, Isidore remembers. I think I felt isolated then, that I was left behind. I sat at a corner of a table in the center and I just stared out in the blaze, wishing what would my life be if I went. When no one ever heard any news about what happened to Anna after she left, the rumors began. Orphans were being taken and killed for their organs. Isidore heard those stories and made a decision. Anna's departure from the orphanage had taught him that there was something beyond the institution, an opportunity, even if it meant death. In his mind, that was preferable than staying behind. Most of us first learn about orphans not from the images shown in news reports of beds that resembled cages and children who are oddly silent and unresponsive. But instead, we know about orphans usually through reading about them in books. Orphans are some of the most famous and familiar characters in literature. An orphan fictional character forms an immediate connection to the reader. There is instant sympathy empathy. That fear of abandonment is universal, and authors and screenwriters use that fear as a technique to bond readers and listeners with these characters. As the hero or heroine in a story, orphans amplify the virtues of goodness and resilience. 
In these stories, the villains and dictators have taken away the parents through death or decrees. Be mean to an orphan and you're as awful as the Dursleys. If you show initiative and you're resourceful, you're an Oliver Twist or a Pippi Longstocking. Orphans in literature from Cosette in Les Miserables to Jane Eyre and Anne of Green Gables are all brave and spunky. They overcome abandonment and being bullied. The more pathetic and pitiful the orphan, the more obstacles they face, the greater their ultimate triumph in fighting back and finding their way. They are outsiders and alone, but that becomes their greatest asset. In fiction, writers can create the change they want, face their own fears by making their characters go through the abandonment and rejection and loneliness they are afraid of. J.K. Rowling said in an interview once that she made Harry Potter an orphan because when she first imagined him as a character, that was the time in her life when her mother was dying. She was afraid of becoming an orphan. Making Harry Potter one was her way of confronting her fears of being left on her own. When you're an orphan in literature, there is always a journey that must be taken. In real life, for Isidore Ruckel, it involved his first ever plane ride after he was adopted by a family in California. He landed in a country that he knew only from watching the TV series Dallas. It was a land where on birthdays there were car rides to McDonald's and seatbelts were required. That was his first resistance to life in America, three days after he arrived. Isidore didn't want to wear a seatbelt, but he was told that if he didn't wear his seatbelt, his new parents could go to jail. Isidore didn't know at that time what parents were, but even then, he knew about jails. He didn't want his parents to be jailed. For him, the connection was clear. Don't wear a seatbelt. It was jail for the parents who got him out of jail. He always wore his seatbelt after that. Coming to America and trying to fit in was the difficult part. Mentally, I wasn't an average 11-year-old. In fiction, these journeys also begin with first steps and links to relationships that have meaning that might not be clear at first. Run straight into platform nine and three quarters at King's Crossing. And that's the only way to get on board the Hogwarts Express. Or take an uncertain, scary walk down the yellow brick road as Dorothy had to in order to find a home that was lost. Along the way, the orphan meets others. They make friends, find companions who help them become less alone. They build strength and courage through watching lions overcome their cowardly ways. Those in case in tin teach them about loyalty and love. And orphans can think of things they never thought before if they meet those with just stuffing their heads all full of nothing who only wish to have a brain. When you're an orphan, you are alone. But in fiction, there's someone who can guide you.
For Isidore Ruckel, surrounded by other orphans, there was no guidance, no one to teach them how to not be frightened, how to love, how to think. Babies learn from early experiences. Brains take time to build up, for the wires to connect. All our learning and behavior that shape our lives beyond the crib begin developing as the brain takes shape. Before babies can even talk, scientists say more than one million neural connections are formed every second in the first few years of life. That's significantly higher than what scientists believe occurred in the brains of babies just a few years ago when they thought there were 7,000 or so neural connections per second. What's crucial for babies as all those neural connections are being made is to have connections to their external world. Did you know babies play tennis? Well, they don't actually hit a ball across a net. They can't even hold their heads up yet, much less a tennis racket. But their brains develop when they serve and return. It is tennis for babies' brains. Imagine neural connections as tiny light bulbs. When a baby smiles, a small light turns on. When they get a smile in return, an even bigger light turns on. A smile gets a smile back. Connection made. Now, what happens if giggling is added in, then a belly laugh? The more serves and the more returns, the more neural connections are formed. When there are no returns, no one to play with, the serves slow. The world then for these babies dim a little as the light bulbs in their brains flicker but don't get brighter. It goes from gray to gray. Any chance for the gray to turn into a brighter color fails. In The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the story is told like this. When Dorothy, who was an orphan, first came to her, Aunt Em had been so startled by the child's laughter that she would scream and press her hand upon her heart whenever Dorothy's merry voice reached her ears. And she still looked at the little girl with wonder that she could find anything to laugh at. Uncle Henry never laughed. He worked hard from morning till night and did not know what joy was. He was gray also, from his long beard to his rough boots, and he looked stern and solemn and rarely spoke. It was Total that made Dorothy laugh and saved her from growing as gray as her other surroundings. It took a cyclone to launch Dorothy into a world that was suddenly Technicolor. When she opened the door to Munchkinland, she saw colorful flowers and fruits blooming in trees and heard the sounds of running water. Before that cyclone, she knew only the gray prairie of Kansas, where even blades of grass aren't green, but gray. When Professor Nathan Fox first walked into a Romanian orphanage 20 years ago, he saw and heard gray. There were no sounds of laughter. Orphans were fed or bathed or had their diapers changed on a schedule. There was no other interaction. So bored were the children that Professor Fox noticed they stared only at their own hands. These babies may have served at some point, but there was never a return. There was no stimulation from those around them. Silence met silence. Isidore remembers his time at the orphanage this way. There was no response to kindness or violence. 
Even amongst themselves, the orphans didn't respond to each other. They existed, in Isidore's words, to vegetate. And we'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The lack of laughter in response to a smile slows down the neural connections inside a baby's brain. Every brain, whether it's human or animal, has in common the task of responding. Our brain cells interpret and process information. Once those cells gather information, they then send out a response and reaction or an order to the rest of the body. When there's pain, discomfort, loneliness, the signal is sent out. And then there's another signal of how to respond to it. The other could be, you're lonely, go out and see your friends. All babies feel discomfort, loneliness, isolation at some point. They cry when they're hungry or wet. But when they're fed and their diaper changed, harmony is restored. When they're picked up, that sense of connection to a caregiver is made. For that moment, loneliness and neglect ends. When Isidore Rucko was still in the orphanage, the idea that neglect and isolation could affect the brains of babies was just a theory. What has now been scientifically proven is there is undisputed evidence that a child's development in those very early years have an effect on them later on. The consequences that result when there's no returns to the SIRS 
that babies make in their attempt to play tennis with those supposed to be giving them care. It has been documented and built up over the last two decades of research. It is in those early developmental years that the serve and response aspect is most clearly important because that's when they are most vulnerable to stress. That secure base from which babies can explore and learn needs to be there. If it's not those connections in the brain needed to go deeper into the other regions that build up how we form attachments and think critically and make decisions fully aware of their consequences haven't been formed. During the time the dictator was alive, the importance of those connections in the brain weren't recognized. But over the last quarter of a century, study after study have shown that in mice, monkeys, and humans, there is a common missed opportunity. When newborns don't make connections to the outside world, the wiring inside the brain changes. Social isolation affects the brain in rodents, primates, and in human children, raised in institutions where neglect was rampant. What studies show is how early the impact of that neglect had. Timing was critical. If mice were isolated during a specific period, they failed to recover that functioning ability in their brains. But if isolation happened after that early stage, there was no permanent damage similar results found in newborn rhesus monkeys and human babies. Researchers like developmental psychologist Nathan Fox, who is part of a team tracking children raised in Romanian orphanages, have proven that neglecting a child can actually be more harmful than physical abuse. Professor Fox, Charles Nelson, a cognitive neuroscientist, and psychiatrist Charles Zena, were the first to start studying in a lab environment the development of 136 Romanian orphans. 11 years after the death of the dictator, the country invited the team to look into the effects of abandoned children. That study continues to this day. Half of the orphans were randomly assigned to monitored and enriched foster care homes. The other half remained in their institutional care. A third group of Romanian children with parents and no history of being in orphanages were also brought in as comparison. Not only were Romanian children in foster care better off physically than those who remained in institutions by weight and height, they also did better mentally and emotionally. Their IQs were higher by as much as 30 points between those who were in institutions and the orphans who were placed in foster care. The earlier that children were removed from institutions, the better the outcomes. The study is grounded in neuroscience. Using EEGs and MRIs, the development of the brain was tracked at specific points of neurodevelopment. Memory, reasoning, language skills, and problem-solving abilities were all lower in children who were in institutions. Their brains had less activity and their progress decreased as they got older. Timing was again critical. Those placed in foster care before they turned the age of two did better than those who weren't taken out of institutions until after that age. 
Our position with regard to children in institutions is pretty clear. The first thing is we don't think children should remain in institutions to the extent that there can be deinstitutionalization and that it can be carefully planned. I mean, you just can't open the doors of the institution and let kids walk off. So you've got to plan deinstitutionalization in terms of finding either foster parents or kin that are willing to take a child in. But we think that being in a family is better in most all instances than being in an institution. When Isidore Ruckel first heard of the study, he thought it was unfair, wrong. Half the children in the study would get the chance to leave the institution, while the other half remained behind. But when the results started to come in, Isidore found something he didn't have before. Even after being adopted, he felt alone, isolated. He explained it this way. It was the same when he was surrounded by other orphans, and then when he was in a family who cared for him and supported him. The loneliest times were when he felt he couldn't make a connection to anyone. But what the research that has come out since the study began tells him is that what shaped him in his brain as a baby and the results of that for him as a young man living and struggling in his adopted environment was profound and inescapable. What Isidore found in that research is hope. Hope that he and others who came from that same isolation can find ways to connect with each other. After the books and the movies, J.K. Rowling funded an organization with the purpose of shutting down all orphanages around the world by the year 2050. The foundation she created is called Loomis, the light-giving spell in the Harry Potter books. It aims at spotlight using the powerful lens of the mythology created around this fictional orphan who escaped his loneliness and found hope. In real life, the writer says there are still far too many children hidden and isolated in orphanages. UNICEF estimates there are 153 million orphans around the world. If orphans were their own country, they would have a bigger population than Russia, and there would be five times more orphans than Canadians. Most orphans, it turns out, like Isidore Ruckel, have a living biological parent who couldn't care for them. We heard a lot during the pandemic about the devastating effects in seniors' homes and facilities and the rampant spread of COVID-19 among the most vulnerable. There should be similar urgency for children in institutions during the pandemic, says Professor Fox, who is part of the group that is studying the long-term effects on Romanian orphans. It's very worrisome, not only with regard to our participants in Romania, but for children who are in orphanages or institutions around the world, because they are in some of the worst situations in terms of being in close quarters with each other, in terms of getting the kind of sanitary care that would be necessary. So there's an issue about those kids who are in these situations that really is important to be addressed at this point in time. 
What will happen to those orphans who are in institutions now during a pandemic? The restlessness many adults are feeling with self-isolation and social distancing are more than just feelings in the brains of babies. They are lapses in connections that will have an effect on these children for years to come. In June last year, Professor Fox and other prominent scientists published a paper in The Lancet during the pandemic to encourage governments to make faster changes in policies to move children from institutions and into families. Ask Isidore Ruckel about that possibility, and he says he hoped at one time that there would be no more orphans. Others, like J.K. Rowling and researchers like Nathan Fox, are working towards a goal that one day there will be no more orphanages. Even in the created world of fiction, not every child has a parent who can take care of them. But there is hope in real life that even those abandoned by their caregivers might eventually find a family. The dictator wanted to manufacture an army, a single nation of millions of followers who would be loyal and serve his interests. Instead, his decree forged a country of orphans. A writer scared of being alone created one orphan, and through her books, she founded a borderless nation of millions of fans connected together around one world. Fictional orphans can overcome their obstacles, and in the process, the reader follows along. Real orphans, like Isidore Ruckel, says life doesn't work that easily. He made a documentary about his journey and wrote a book about his life. Every single human being can recover and move forward in life. For some, it will take longer than others. But the biggest thing that most of adoptees can do, especially in the age that they're at within mid-teenage and early adulthood, is you have to find the goals you want to do in life and where you want to be in life. It's okay to remember what you went through in the institution because that's never going to be erased from your mind. But you can find a closure without letting it affect you. These days, living on his own, alone but not lonely, Isidor works in a restaurant. He has been able to reconnect with the family in Romania who had to abandon him. And a once-troubled relationship with the family who had adopted him is changing into something that suits both him and them. A recognition that family is there for him, and there is even for orphans a place they can always call home. When he is on his own, he reads and he watches movies, and he makes connections with others who have gone through what he did, whether from the land of the dictator or foster kids still in the system, and with those who want to forget they were ever in an orphanage or an institution. I know that sometimes it's challenging to make it into the real world as a grown adult or as a young teenager because we feel like we're held back because of what we went through in the institution. Some have been able to recover and live a perfect normal life without letting the past affecting them, or for most of them, it's because they forgot what happened. 
The thing about the brain, Isidore has come to realize, is that the wiring may have changed in those early years, and some connections that might have been made, should have been made, are lost forever. But forgetting is hope. The cyclone in Dorothy's world changed what was once gray into bright colors. And the light from magical spells that Harry Potter created now has the power to shine on dark institutions where children are hidden away. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to do what I can and make the best use of it. That's what I do. And look, I've made it to be 40 and I'm grateful I'm still here. Something new can make loneliness and isolation just a memory. And outside the brain, connections lost from abandonment and neglect can find different connections in gratitude and hope. As there were beginnings in orphanages, there are endings. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. The sound engineer is Jeff Devine. Supervising producers for the show are Debbie O'Reilly and Guillermo Serrano. My name is Peg Fong. I'm the host and writer. If you're about to get on the Hogwarts Express, take us along with you. Share with us on social media at Apostrophe Pod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.